Welcome to the Best Boss Ever podcast. I'm your host, Christine LaPerriere, president of Leader in Motion. On this show, we're going to gossip about the best boss you ever had. We're going to hear stories about things that they did that helped you feel valued, helped you feel engaged, and really inspired you. We want to hear about the bosses that changed the way you look at everything. If you want to hear more, join me at christinelaperriere.com and sign up for our newsletter, The Whip. Welcome to the Best Boss Ever podcast. I'm your host, Christine LaPerriere, and today I've asked Jennifer Laidlaw to join me for an interview. Now, Jennifer, I got a chance to meet with you in your days at CIBC, and we had some really powerful conversations about the 30% Club and the work you're doing in the diversity and inclusion space. And I really admired your passion to changing culture and building more equitable cultures. And so for me, it was just a natural progression to ask you if I could learn a little bit more about you in respect to what you've experienced in leadership over the years. Thank you for joining me. And can you introduce yourself real quick? Yeah, thank you so much, Christine. I am so pleased to be here. Hello to all the listeners out there. So currently, I'm doing an executive in residence at the Toronto Metropolitan University and country head of 30% Club here in Canada. I've held several executive roles in a variety of sectors, including a large Canadian regulator, a bank, and within the Ontario Public Service. And more recently, I've been working with leaders to leverage an understanding of what I'm calling an invisible success factor, which I say is state of mind. Uh, to transform performance and business outcomes, unlock creativity and innovation, and uncover resilience. It's been a lot of fun. That's amazing. And we we would definitely agree. I think state of mind is a uh, invisible success factor. I like the way that you phrase that. So I'm just going to dive right in. So tell us a little bit about the best bosses that you've worked for and some of the experiences that you've had with them. Yeah, such a pleasure to look back over the years. I've had some incredible leaders throughout my career. So I'm just going to focus on a couple of key elements of a few that really stood out for me. They have really inspired and enabled greatness and supported me and their teams in building the conditions for our success and that of our teams and our colleagues. And the the first one that I'd like to start with is what I would call purpose-driven leadership. And I know purpose recently has gotten a lot of attention, but there are two leaders in particular that I worked with over the years that were masters at aligning the organization to purpose. Each of them had joined their organizations and those organizations benefited significantly and surprisingly quickly from their immediate focus and sort of reattention on their own purpose but also uncovering and recommitting to the purpose of the organization with the entire team. They also were then incredibly bold in leveraging purpose as a guiding light for strategy development and execution. They made very difficult decisions that were informed by this process and made investments in key areas that were required to live out that purpose. For both of them, status quo was not an option. And and I have to say, Christine, there was literally a buzz to the place in each organization that you could you could feel. They mm. essentially infused life back into the organizations. And it was because they cared so much about the critical importance of the work that they were leading. And I would say just this is legacy work. Purpose-driven work becomes legacy work. And that's what I saw in these two leaders. And it was very inspiring. 
So can you tell me just a bit about, you know, what did you see in their purpose? Like, what were they passionate about? Well, in each situation, they were passionate about essentially bringing attention back to what the point of the organization was Mm. and the impact that it would have. And in each situation, it was not about creating purpose. It was uncovering the original purpose of the organization and then recommitting to that purpose. And what it did was it created a really clear sort of decision factor. Everything became more clear, not necessarily more easy, but certainly more clear about what was required of the organization, where the resources needed to be, where the Mm -hmm. investments needed to be had, where shifts needed to be made in order to have the impact that that organization was originally designed to have. That's interesting when I think about that, that uncovering the original purpose of the organization and then recommitting to what that is going to be. I can picture that because it seems that so many organizations kind of lose their way. They're trying to be too many different things. They don't, you know, I guess you can feel that a lot of the times in the way that you even experience some organizations where it's like they're trying to be too many things or they're trying, they've, they've lost their way. You know, they're too focused on, yeah. you know, profit and they've lost the customer connection and they've, or they've lost the connection to people in their environment at work. So I can really see how that in itself would be so purposeful, right? Yes, exactly. And in one situation, you know, when you're working with a regulator, it's very complex, but the intention is really quite simple and it's protecting the people of the province and therefore of the country. And, and so getting back to that, really clarifying. For the bank, that particular bank, it was about the original purpose really stemmed from the fact that it was one of the first, I think the first financial institution to make lending available to regular folks hmm. versus business. And it was about how do we enable regular people, all people, to have access to what they need to make the best out of their lives. That is very profound. You know, I don't think of organizations thinking of everyday people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can see why that would energize people, right? Because it's probably Absolutely. so many people that work in the organization are those everyday people trying to make the most out of their lives. Exactly. And recommitting to that sense of this is why we're doing this work. Because it's easy to see the outcomes and it's easy to be to see what is talked about in media or, you know, the big deals and those kinds of things. But those are the aspects that actually fuel the organization to be able to deliver its purpose to everyone. Mm -hmm. Wow. I like that. That's sending off some light bulbs for me. So that's really cool. So tell me a little bit more. Can you think of any examples of what it's like to be in a meeting or be in a discussion or tell me like how a team solves a problem when they're in an organization working with a really wonderfully purpose-driven leader. Yeah, I think it comes down to where you put purpose in the conversation. And it, it is something that you can use as a guiding light. And so I think when you're asking yourself, is this aligned with purpose? It, it makes it, again, really clear, but not necessarily easy. And mm-hmm. so... When you're having a conversation about how resources are to be invested in, that's a difficult conversation. But if we, if you keep the end in mind, are we ensuring that the organization is positioned in the best way possible to be able to deliver on what we say and what we agreed 
and what we've committed to with our, our purpose, then those hard decisions become more clear, not necessarily more easy, but they become more clear. And it is about paving a pathway forward. Mm-hmm. So it feels like it, it helps people when they're debating big, complicated decisions, like it helps create that center point or that referee, right? You come back Absolutely. to the... Yeah. yeah. And, and a couple of, again, very high level examples, but in one organization, the decision to, to actually invest in a strategic plan at a time when the organization had a very uncertain future, there were a lot of points of view about that. And mm-hmm. some were thinking that maybe an investment wasn't the right way to go. But when we came back to purpose, the purpose was to ensure that the organization was the best positioned to be able to deliver on its purpose in whatever uncertain future it was. And so it really was the responsible decision to make sure that we were going to be able to essentially hand off the best organization possible for whatever sort of future was determined for it by making sure that we had done the work to actually prepare the organization to go through that process. Amazing. That makes so much sense. And that's really, that locks in that internal alignment. So you get people there faster. Yes. So that's amazing. You know, one of the questions that comes up in my world, so I work with a lot of different leaders and I'm helping them navigate a lot of different challenges. And people ask, what's the return on investment when you invest in your people and you help build some of those best bosses? So I'd love to know in your perspective, when you think of how strong these leaders were that you worked for, what do you think the return to the bottom line was? Yeah. And, you know, the leaders that I've been able to work with are, are quite high level. And, and so their impact has been incredibly wide and deep. And in, in two instances, they were able to show that, in fact, one person can spark a huge shift in culture. They can't do it alone, but they can certainly spark it. And I think that and then seeing just the feeling, the buzz in the organization completely shift from an energy perspective, it's palpable. Like you don't need to have measurement to to experience it, but obviously measurement is really important. And I think, you know, as we've gone through what we're calling the great resignation or, or whatever way you prefer to reference it. The bottom line is that we're not getting engagement and resilience and trust right. And and I think that's one of the things that I would point to that leaders really need to be aware of and engaging with. And I'll, I'll refer to an article that I think is really compelling that's out of ADP Research Institute. And Marcus Buckingham's associated with a lot of that work. And if you haven't read his book, Love and Work, it's a collaboration with Harvard Business Review. You can also see uh, an article in that magazine about it. It is profoundly impactful. But they did the study in 2018 with 19,000 workers in 19 countries. And the results are shocking. And this was pre-pandemic. The pandemic actually dropped the scores by 2%. So really quickly, I'll go through them only 18% of workers are fully engaged, which means that, and now that's 16%, which means that there are 
84% of your workforce population that are less than fully engaged. Right. Only 17% feel highly resilient, which means that 83% do not. What does that matter? That means turnover. That means absenteeism. That means hard to hire because you've got so many, so many open spaces. Another one that I thought was really interesting, which is 14% of these workers trusted their team leader and their senior leader, 14, which means that 86% of our workers don't trust their team leader and their senior leader, which has huge implications to innovation, to commitment to the organization, whether they'll stay, whether they'll go. And we know that one quarter of, of U.S. workers quit their jobs in 2021, which is a historic high. So I, I would say, you know, Houston, we have a problem. Every, every single leader should be aware of these numbers and developing strategies to ensure they make a significant positive impact on their teams. And, and best bosses are in the game. You know, they're great leaders. They're developing environments and culture in which their team members are fully engaged. They're highly resilient and they have trust in their leaders and teams. I, I love what you're sharing because first of all, I guess I don't have the numbers, but I've always felt what you said. I've seen those reports with Gallup. I've seen those reports where they they have said some really upsetting numbers, very similar and probably smaller, smaller groups. And the other thing that I find is that on the diversity and inclusion front, when I started tackling that problem, one of the biggest challenges I saw is that organizations figured out how to recruit great diverse talent. But because they were going to work for lousy leaders, the 14% that trusted their team and their leader, right? So that means that we've got 86% that are walking around that don't trust their leader. What I find is that, especially in the experience that I've had working with women, is that if they don't trust or feel valued by their leader, they're out the door. So organizations were really great at figuring out how to attract the talent, bring the talent, hire the talent, meet their diversity quotas which is exactly, you know, kind of the what it was, but they didn't know how to retain them or engage them or get the most out of them. So I felt that that part of the equation was really missing. Absolutely. And we know that there are a lot of employees that are out there that are, are paying a huge tax that have to cover when they show up in the workplace. And and that is exhausting. It, it takes an incredible amount of time and attention to really recreate how you're showing up so that it is seen to be of value to the organization, uh, which means that we're getting less of them uh, and they're not feeling that they belong and therefore not feeling that their contributions are even valued, let alone meaningful. And so it's a, it's a huge aspect for best bosses to really think about. Right. Excellent. And then tell us a little bit about what you've experienced in a not great leader. You know, what have you noticed that really for you, you're like, oh, I, I hope I never do that. Yeah, I've been really lucky. I've been very blessed. I've had some phenomenal leaders. And the ones that I tended to struggle with more tended to be more, I would say, indirect, not as transparent. It, for me, it's just, it feels a bit like you're playing a game of telephone where the message gets twisted every time it's told and you're trying to figure out read between the lines and kind of guess what they're trying to say and to me that feels really risky and is also a really big waste of time and and so i tend to gravitate towards leaders who are a little bit fired up make it upset occasionally but 
you know, their passion and their commitment is there and they're, they're able to just say things as it is. And, and then we move forward. I like that. It's easy to follow somebody when you, like you said, when you just feel like you know what you're working with, right? Exactly. Yep. Yep. And so here's kind of my last, you know, thought provoking question for you. If you had to teach or advise future leaders on how to be a best boss, tell me more about how you would, what would you encourage them to focus on and, and any other tips or tricks that you've really seen in your career that help make leaders great? Because the audience that listens to this show are people that are really sharpening the saw to be those best bosses. So I would, I kind of narrowed it down to not three, which is, is the rule, but two, two, three, and then two extras. So the first one I would say is what exactly what we were talking about. Create a psychologically safe environment for everyone. Encourage people to say hard things versus just saying or doing things that make you feel good as the leader, because a lot of people are telling leaders what they want to hear, which is, in my opinion, a risk gateway and a major barrier to innovation. So that would be number one. Number two is to intentionally create a team that is diverse and inclusive. Uh, with a culture of belongingness and trust in which everybody has a unique contribution to the team and then supporting them to leverage that uniqueness in really powerful ways. And I think that's the whole idea of a team is that we don't have all the same expertise. We don't have the same knowledge. We also have the same things that we love to do that really light us up and, and, you know, when we're in the zone. And so that's a, a way that a team can really learn to leverage each other And third, I would say to really understand and embrace the power of connection, creating rapport with your team, getting to know what makes them tick, the things they love to do most in their current role, what they love to do more of. Marcus Buckingham calls them red threads in his new book. Gay Hendricks calls it the zone of genius. So helping your team members to look for ways to accomplish their goals while spending more time in these flow states in which they'll be happier, they'll be more resilient be more productive, more innovative, and engaged. First bonus is really the power of a strong network. This is, people get very focused on networking. And I think the way to reframe that is to really think about a powerfully strong network. It's not about just going out and meeting people. It's about understanding that good leadership is a team sport and success comes from knowing who, not how. That one for me has served powerfully. And then the last one is to lift heavily as you climb, always looking for meaningful ways to pay it forward. And I think this one I've seen more and more from what I would say are are less traditional leaders who are breaking the status quo, who are being their own unique selves, who are able to be role models for others to sort of see it and be it. And one of the things they're doing is lifting heavily as they climb. And I think that that is the true mark of a great leader and a great boss. I think that is fantastic. That's probably one of my favorite. I'm going to steal that. That's going to be one of my new favorite quotes, the lift heavy as you climb, because it makes so much sense. I think Mm -hmm. as we're talking about so much around leadership so often, the conversation is around that individual, but the idea of lifting others up. Yep. to me as a trait of a best boss. It is. Absolutely. So it's a it's a powerful one to keep in mind, you know? And who who are you lifting up? Like you should be able to answer that one right off the top of your head if you're really doing it. Yeah, exactly. And and it's a great strategy 
for your own personal growth and development. I know so many people who wanted to continue to grow, wanted to get to different levels in the organization and were kind of stuck because they weren't building their sort of protégés of, of the future. So the more you bring people up into growth and expansion, the, the more likely you're going to be able to do the same. That is a fantastic way to uh, wrap this up. I think this was fantastic talking to you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Christine. And I really had a great time. Amazing. I'll encourage everyone to look you up, Jennifer Laidlaw on LinkedIn, and they can uh, follow you and learn a little bit more about you. Thank you, Jennifer. Thank you, Christine. If you want to hear more, join me at christinelaperriere.com and sign up for our newsletter, The Whip.